Welcome back. I apologize for those of you who love hearing my podcast every day that I did not do one yesterday. It was my birthday, and I love not using my computer and my phone, so I decided to turn everything off yesterday. Um, but I also love doing podcasts, so I'm happy to be back today, um, which is actually technically still my birthday somewhere in the world, I think. Um, but I'm here doing podcasts anyway. You're welcome. So uh, the other day I was taking a train from one part of Nagano to the other, and I was listening to, well, actually a, a guided meditation. And I remember thinking, which you're not supposed to do meditation, but whatever, I'm not, maybe I'm not, not that good at it. <laughs> I remember thinking that, oh, maybe I shouldn't have these, maybe I shouldn't be like listening to anything on the train because that will make me train sick. And then I was like, why do I think that? Why do I think that listening to something will make me train sick? I'm pretty sure I understand how like motion sickness works. And it doesn't have anything to do with listening to things, I think. And then I thought back. I was like, oh, wait a second. I know why I think that. It's because for years, I believed that your ears had to do with motion sickness. And this was because the first time I ever learned about car sickness, my dad explained it to me by saying it has to do with your inner ear. And I had no idea what an inner ear was. I didn't know that there was anything other than your outer ears, aka just your ears. And for that reason, when he said, you know, it has to do with your inner ear, I assumed that it had to do with like the part of your ear that involves hearing. And therefore assumed that car sickness had to do with when you were hearing something different than what you were seeing. And at some point I, I like, you know, got a new understanding of car sickness that includes the understanding about your inner ear and how that senses motion that's different from what your eyes are seeing. But this, uh, this weird understanding of it having to do with your, your auditory ears still stuck with me somehow in the back of my brain. And it made me realize how important our choice of words is. This came back to me again a few days ago when I was doing a presentation with a friend of mine and we were reusing a common word. In this case, it was um, the word ego. We were using it more as a word to describe um, like your, the part of you that gives meaning to things and tells stories. But most people understand ego to mean, you know, the, the, the mean part of you that wants to do great things and like is ambitious and ruthless. It's like, oh, that guy has a big ego. And then, of course, if you're like a psychologist or a therapist, maybe you understand to me like the Freudian meaning of ego, which is pretty much in between those two. And all that is to say, ego has a lot of meanings. And when we use the word ego in that presentation, it was likely that a few people were confused because they already knew what ego meant or they thought they knew what ego meant. Now, the reason we used ego in the first place here was because we wanted to, we didn't want to have to explain everything about this concept. People's understanding of what ego meant was, pretty, was like, like maybe halfway to what we wanted them to understand. We wanted them to think, oh, the story I tell myself when I do things, often bad things, like you know, procrastinate on a task for work, the story I tell myself. And thinking about ego as like the thing that makes you ambitious and makes you feel like you're better than everybody else is like kind of halfway to that understanding. So you know, we can choose that word and know that you're halfway there and all I have to do is make up the difference. But by choosing a word that 
people aren't even understanding for, we also like, you know, risk them basically assuming their understanding is correct and then not listening to the rest of the presentation. On the other hand, we could have chosen to make up a word. We could have said, oh, this is your shmigo. This is your, this is your ligo. <laughs> Hopefully that word doesn't already exist in Urban Dictionary somewhere. Um, and we could say, oh, your shmigo is like, you know, this thing, the thing that probably that tells stories. And people would be like, oh, cool. I don't know what a shmigo is. I'm going to listen in and, and learn this new thing. But then we have to explain everything from the beginning. Like, oh, you know, your shmigo, it's kind of like, you know, this, it's kind of not your subconscious. It's not like the part of you that understands things. It's part of you that just like gives meaning to things. We have to re-explain a lot of concepts that would normally be covered by the word ego. So it takes longer, but then you ensure that people get the right understanding. And I think this comes up a ton when you're just teaching in general, whether to extend an existing definition of a word or make up a new definition. I often will go with making new definitions because I love semantics and I love defining things. And I just cannot wait to write a three-page essay on a working definition. You'll, in most of my blog posts, you'll find the word working definition. Um, but that just takes a long time, and most people don't want to read all that or listen to all that. So I also understand the flip side of let's reuse an existing word, save some time, but risk that people might not understand the full meaning of what we want or assume they understand when they don't. Anyway, it's tough, um, but it's important. And um, I don't have a good answer, but if you have any ideas for, you know, when you're explaining something, whether you want to reuse a word or make a new one, leave those in the comments below, and I'll see you tomorrow.